And, and God spoke to me and really, really convicted me. If you can't clean out the gutters of, the, of my house that I gave you now, what are you, you going to do with the next one? Are you able to clean out those gutters or you know, not find the time to do that? I got, to, got convicted over that personally. Now, obviously, it's not a sin to not clean out your gutters. But for me, at that point in time, it was. And so I got the ladder out, and I climbed up on the roof. And I'm fine, I'll clean out the gutters. If you want me to clean out the gutters, I'll clean out some gutters. And Deanna comes out, what are you doing? I'm cleaning the gutters of the house. <laughs> for the first time. And I should have done it before, you know. So when you're doing these kind of things at your house, and you're taking care of your house, and you're cleaning your car, and all these little things, you have to remember, it's his house it's his car we do these kind of things for him point number two is it's all God's stuff so it doesn't matter if you're getting ready to get rid of it clean it up a little bit because guess what that saves some of the value in that thing and also that shows shows God that I care about about the stuff that you gave me I care about that Colossians 3 23 and 24 says whatever you do do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So everything that you're doing, it's for the Lord. Um, my kids almost probably hate this verse with this because we use it at the house all the time now. So I tell them, you know, when you're, tell myself, this part's for me, when you're cleaning the gutters, you're cleaning the gutters for Jesus. When, now, this is for the kids and myself. When you're scrubbing the toilets, you're scrubbing the toilets for Jesus. When you're washing your car, that's to showcase the Lord. And it says, look what the Lord has given me, and I care about it. When we have people coming over the house, the girls are fantastic little house workers, and they help us out. And there's something that I say, it might gross you out, but I say it all the time. As a Jesus should be happy and willing to come into our house and eat off of the toilets. And they say... That's disgusting. Ew. I, and my response is always, we're going to give him a plate. But the toilet needs to be clean enough that he would be okay with it. That's gross. But it gives him a goal, something to work for. You know, just clean it up because you're doing it for the Lord and all of this stuff. When we realize that everything we have is God's and not ours, it makes it a little easier to do these kind of things for it, to take care of our things. A lot of the stuff that we've, we're talking about are physical things that we can do. Pray, build the budget, work overtime, clip coupons, what have you. And, you know, doing and taking care of things for the Lord. Another reason I was reading through some stuff, and I found this, is called the Toddler Property Laws. It says, number one, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's still mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours. If I'm doing something or building something, all of the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's also mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically is mine. 
And number 10, if it's broken, it's yours. How many times do we do that with our stuff? Like, oh, well, this is my car, and I love it. It drives and rides smooth, and then it breaks. Lord, this car that you gave me is broken. Uh Uh-uh. When it's running, you can also use it for him. How can you use a car for him? Maybe Sister Susie needs a ride to small group. Give her a ride to small group. Have your car cleaned out so she can give a, get, get in the car and be comfortable and ride a small group. Or maybe, maybe brother so-and-so, brother Philip. Do we have a brother Philip? I don't think we have a brother Philip. But if brother Philip's car is in the garage, take him go get his car out of the garage. Help him out. Look for those ways to, to help out and use your stuff for the Lord. Now, I saw a couple of uh, giggles when I say, say, have a clean spot for your car. Now, mamas, I'm going to talk to you just for a second here. I have three girls. I understand the things that can happen to a car with kids. Believe you me, our kids got so car sick, it wasn't funny. It's constantly cleaning out everything, pulling the car seat out, hosing it down. As soon as you get it clean, they throw up in it again, and then you're doing it again. I'm not talking about things not getting messy. What I'm talking about is like me with the gutters, getting lazy and just not doing it and not caring. That's what I'm talking about. So, because sometimes you got to use your car for the kids as well. That's also using it for the Lord. All right. So this next step here is a little more difficult kind of to explain because it's not something physical. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a budget you're going to write down. It's not a you know, thing you're going to put on cleaning your car. It's not a physical thing that you're going to do. Uh, back in Genesis, it says... Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, he says, yes, my son. We have the fire and we have the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answers. And they walk on. The Bible doesn't really say how old Isaac is in this story. It just starts talking about him. But he's obviously old enough to understand that something's miss, missing in what we normally do. We have the fire. We have the knife. We have the, the everything for the, the, the burnt offering except the burnt offering. And apparently he had some rope with him too. I guess Isaac wasn't quite old enough to start putting all the pieces together. That we got everything to hold something down and kill it, but nothing to actually kill. I would like to have the faith or to believe that Abraham has the faith that he knew that God was going to provide. However, he still went on knowing and understanding that God said that is the sacrifice that you're going to give. And he continued on the journey. He brought some people with him to help him with the journey. When they got close, he left them behind and said, the boy and I are going to go up and worship. Now, I I don't know. That may have been to leave the witnesses behind or what. I don't know. It doesn't talk about him talking to Sarah about this plan, which is probably a good thing because she had him either institutionalized or she'd have killed him. Because I know if I said that to my wife, I'm going to go kill the kids. She'd have killed me before I ever got out the door. But it doesn't say any of that. It just says that he took him and had faith that he was going to, that God was going to provide. Then it says uh, in verse 12, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel says. Do not hurt him in any way. This was our text that we read. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld even your son from me. And when you read back in this chapter, the first time that God calls to him, he says, Abraham, 
and then tells him what he wants him to do. This time, if you notice when we read the scripture, he says, Abraham, Abraham. It's got a little more intensity in it. And I can't help but believe it because he's got Abraham, has Isaac on the altar. He's got him hogtied. He draws up the knife. And now it's serious business because Abraham has gone to this extent that he's going to give what God told him to give. So now he's got to stop him. He says, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch him. And then when Abraham turns around, there's the ram. I can't help but believe that Abraham maybe got up to the top of the mountain and was like, it's still not here. What the heck? So you really want me to do this? So he ties him up. It's still not here. All right, let's put him on the altar, see if God's going to do anything. You said that, you know, you're providing all of my needs and everything, and I'm trusting you, and now you do want me to kill my son. And he's carrying through with it. He's doing what he was told to do, no matter how crazy it sounds. And that's when God stops him and says, here's what I have for you. Now slaughter this. You know, I start thinking about the whole thing, and it sounds all pretty because the conversation, the story ends there with God providing the ram, which is a beautiful scenario, except for Isaac. This poor kid. Abraham's fantastic. Let's go get the ram. And I, wait, wait a minute. You were about ready to kill me, and now he's going to walk home with this guy. Thank the Lord that God did bring the, the daggone ram for him because he'd have walked back in the door, and there stands Sarah, and he killed his son. That's the way my mind goes, which is kind of crazy. So point number three is the Lord is our provider. It says in uh, verse 14, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, which in Hebrew is Jehovah Jireh. And that's why we sing the, some of these songs that talk about Jehovah Jireh and that he is our provider. Because that's what it's talking about. It's referencing this story. He calls that area the Lord will provide. Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. We're going to go back into this tithing thing just for just a second, just because it's so important. So he asks, asks for you to bring the tithe in and says, Try me on this. If I'm not going to bless you. Now, it doesn't get, this is not a prosperity message. Don't even think, kind of think about that. But it says, I have a blessing for you. Whatever this is, it, this is not a specific dollar amount that I have for you. This is a blessing. This is when you're behind on your house payment and you call the creditor and they say, oh, well, that portion, don't worry about that. That's what he's holding in his hand to pour out. Or this, you, have, you have this, uh, this, in, this, insurmountable debt or this problem that you have that I don't have the money for this and he's got somebody that says hey I got the money right here for you you can have it that's the blessing he might be holding or just you're not sure if you're going to have the money when you when the when you swipe the card you didn't do all the, the adding up right or something like that and you swipe the card and it goes through and you look back at your account your account and you look at it oh well such and such and such and such didn't come through until after I got my paycheck and why 
because God's holding that blessing. So if you line up your life and you give the tithe and the offering back to him, he can say, I can give you that because that releases him to bless you. Psalms 104, 10 through 14, it says, He sends forth in the, in the springs, in the valleys. They flow from between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heaven dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He he. he he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation of the labor of man, so that he may bring forth food from the earth. The Lord is our provider. I picture this mountaintop type of deal with this verse and how the water starts at the top and just trickles and flows all the way down. So all the vegetation at the top of the mountain, it gets the water and it gets the life that it needs. And it keeps on going down to all the other vegetations. And it keeps the, 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 the deer can go to the spring and they can lap that up and they can be, be filled. And all the other animals and everything. And then it goes into the valleys. Maybe there's some farmers down there and they, got, they have their fields set up and it gets watered. And everything gets watered. From the top, because it all comes from the Lord. And you know, when you plant your garden and your things begin to grow and you got tomatoes and cucumbers and everything coming out your ears, it's because the Lord provided that kind of stuff, right? I don't have a very green thumb. We tried to do a garden one year and we got a few cherry tomatoes and a few of this and a few of that. But there was other things that the same non-green thumb guy planted, and there was tons of it. Every time you walk out, you come out with a bucket, like, well, we got some more. I forget what it was that we kept on getting. But there were all sorts of it. The same guy that messed this one up planted these. Where's all this stuff coming from? That's coming from the Lord. It sure wasn't this guy. For sure, that's from the Lord. It all starts from him and flows on down. It made me think of my children, and there's been so many times we'll go to the store, and they want to buy something. Now, I want to get this. Can I get this? Sure, you can buy that. And they have, thank you. And they walk up. It's $5, Dad. <laughs> well, I thought you were buying it. Well, I am buying it. Oh, you want me to give you the money? No, we were their source. They still got it, and they're still happy. Aiden, just the other day, and it was beautiful, my oldest daughter, Aiden, she said, I want to pay for so-and-so's such-and-such. They're going out to eat or something like that. I want to get this for, for my friend. And Deanna says, oh, that, I think that's beautiful. Great. Go for it. She said, you can pay me back when we get home. <laughs> Deanna said, well, if I pay you back, then aren't I paying for it? And her response, it was beautiful. No, I am. And that's the way that it is. The source is from the Father. The source is from the Lord flowing down to us. So this next part here, I was talking to Dallas, and I had sent this all to Dallas to have him look it over and look for th things. And he actually sent me some figures back, and I thought, and it was, I didn't realize, because we're not buying a house right now or anything like that. But it was just overwhelming, some of the information that he had sent me. I think he's got it up here to put on the, the screen. Uh, the average home price right now is about $350,000. And in 2021, the monthly cost for that house was about $1,474 for your payment. The same home, $350,000, 
in 2022 now cost about $2,385. That's a bit more for the same exact thing. The cost isn't up anymore or anything like that. We're talking about the same house. We're talking about the interest rates and things like that going up so much more that that's what you have to pay. So I started thinking about when we were first buying a house and our first home that we bought. And these, you know, these younger individuals and these younger children, these younger kids coming out of school, coming out of college, and some of the things that they're facing just to buy the house. Monthly, it's going to cost you about $910 more for the same house for, that, for the month. Annually, that adds up to another $10,920. If you keep that loan for the full 30 years, that's $327,600 extra you're paying. Anyone else go, how can you face something like that and not feel a little down and not feel a little depressed? Notice we didn't get any amens on that. (laughs) Ain't nobody saying, I'm willing to pay it. No, that just hurts. That's overwhelming. That's a daunting figure. And I got to thinking, I'm glad I'm not having to pay that. Well, we pay a bunch for our house too. But not that on top of what we're paying right now. But then the Lord kind of reminded me of something that we had went through when we were first married. Many of you may remember the 2008 recession. Well, in, the sept- in September of 2009, the the recession had technically ended. However, unemployment and everything was still dropping. Officially, it had ended, but it had not totally rested. Uh, according to the New York Times, 2.6 million jobs were lost in 2008 alone. Almost 9 million jobs were lost during the entire recession. Unem- like I said, unemployment ple- peaked at, not- at 10%. To put that in perspective, we're at 3.4% right now. In, 2000, in September of 2009, Deanna got word that there might be a layoffs in her work. They had already started some of it, and she was very low on the pecking order. She had just got out of college and just started into this place. We had just bought our first house, just had our first child. She was five months old. Deanna might lose her job. On the other side, on my, my, at my work, I worked for a fire department, and city departments were getting just slammed. They were getting their budgets cut in half. They were browning out stations, shutting out stations, shutting out departments, laying off individuals left and right. Kind of a difficult time to just had a baby, just bought a house, and you may may both lose your jobs. However, if you remember, our provider is not from our employer. Who is our provider? Who's our provider? Exactly. So Deanna did get laid off. That's the bad part of the story. Let me just repeat these numbers. Nine million jobs lost. She was laid off for one day. One day. She had already had an interview set up with another another company and got, got word that she's getting hired the day after she got laid off. And for myself, for my work, we are not a city department. 
We're what's called a fire district. We're our own entity, a little separate. It protected our department from all these budget cuts and everything that all these city departments that we're going through. So in the middle of a recession, with all this extra pressure, she gets a new job with a raise. Amen. I kept my job. We still got raises. And we, we never lost our house. We were able to sell it a few years later for a little more than what we had bought it for. The Lord protected us in a very difficult time. It's obvious, it was obviously a stressful time. So we have to remember all these things are lining up to help us. Remember the title of the message is Winning with His Finances. When we turn it all over to Him, that really helps us out. So Number one was you have to do your part, if you remember. We have to pray and ask God for, his lead, for him to lead us and guide us. We have to build our budget and look for things that we can do to help ourselves out. We have to take care of our stuff because it's all his stuff. So clean it up. Get it ready. to If you're going to resell something, get it ready. Make it look. Have you ever looked on Facebook Marketplace at a car and they snapped a picture of it? And it's still full of McDonald's cups and French fries. They didn't even take the time to clean it out. Who wants to go buy that car? I've never even gone and looked at it because it's not taken care of. If you're going to sell it, you got to wash it up a little bit. Make it look nice and pretty. Put a little, as they say, spit and polish on it. And remember, the Lord is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. Dallas had preached a message a little while back going through the different titles of God. And that was one of them. And talking about praying that Jehovah Jireh and he is our provider. And that is a very powerful thing to do because it's saying, hey, God, you are the who provides for me and not for myself. So we, I had asked in, in the beginning, what, is your fi- what would your finances look like? What would your life look like? There's two words that came to mind and that has come to mind for ourselves in lining up our lives and lining up our finances with what God has in the Bible, what he says. And there's two words, peace and victory. We can get peace knowing that, yeah, the bills might be stacking up. But we have a plan. It's not going to be like this forever. We can have victory that, yeah, even though it looks like we're not going to be able to make those horrible mortgage payments, we have, we're going to have victory in that. And we can overcome that. And we can have peace in knowing that, 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 that when we're looking in a tunnel, that's a light at the end of the tunnel. And we're going to be okay. It's not a train that's going to run us over, but that's the end of the tunnel. And we're going to be more victorious. So I don't care where you are at in your finances, where you're at in your life, where you're at in your budget. You may have you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, or you may have two or three pennies in the bank. It doesn't matter. There's somewhere we can go with this. There's somewhere that we can allow God to bless us in our finances, that we can line things up, and we can be, become better with it. Winning in his finances is more of that state of mind, that state of peace and comfort and victory. I believe personally that God tells us the story of Abraham um, being willing to sacrifice his, his son as a representation of the Lord giving, of God giving his son for us and for our sins. Um, I was thinking about, you know, talk, talking about also about, um, about forgiveness and about how to, you know, about giving your life to Christ. And I started thinking about these different things and, and how to connect the two. And really, it kind of just came clear. 
when he says, when God said to Abraham, 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 here's what you need. First of all, that is God giving his son for us. So you start thinking about, you know, I even wrote it down here on the invitation for giving your life to Christ and how we're going to do that. We're going to pray. But first of all, you need to know that if you don't know Jesus, there's no big fancy thing. You can't get the music just right and do all this kind of stuff. No. Here's what it is. This is the important part, is that you need Jesus. You know, sometimes we try to dress it up and try to fancy it up, but that's the basis of it. You need Jesus. None of this other stuff is going to work, and none of it's going to line up, and you're going to constantly feel defeated if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. So I'd like us to bow our heads, close your eyes. And if you're here under the sound of my voice, if you're listening later on, whenever this is, and you don't know Jesus, we don't need to do all these fancy things. I'm here to tell you, you need Jesus. He's the one that can make a way when there seems to be no way. He's the, that emptiness you feel inside. You see so many, you hear so many people that, you know, just are looking for that next thing, looking for this, going here and going there. Jesus is that for you. And he stopped this service and stopped in this middle of this portion to say, hey, Jesus is what you need. Jesus is what you need. So we're going to all pray together. Keep your head down, your eyes closed. And if that's you and you say, I'm the person that needs Jesus. I'm the one that needs Jesus. I'm the two, three, however many it is. Let me tell you how important this is. If you don't need him, correction, (laughs) if you don't have him, you can shoot up your hand, you can run up here, you can do whatever you need to do because you need Jesus. You can also pray in your heart and repeat this prayer with us because he's what you need. It's not all the other fancy stuff. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your saving. You sent your son for me and I ask you to forgive me for my sins and I'm going to turn and go the other way and change my life for you. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we all have, I know personally, we have things that we need to fix with our finances, fix it with our lives. It's because it's an ever-changing thing. You, know, you, you reach one point, now you have to find where you're going to go next. Whether it's you're giving and you're going to make a decision that you're going to give in tithes, you're going to give in offerings, whatever it is, you're going to, you know, build up that emergency. Just you need to find what God has for you and what you need to do in this portion of your life. So you can find yourself a place to pray because this is big stuff. It seems sometimes because it's constantly, you know, we have, it's always there. Our finances are always there. But it's big stuff. And it becomes overwhelming for people. Like I said, divorces happen because of this kind of stuff. 
lives are split apart, families are split apart, things are destroyed because they couldn't get something right. Let's get it right. Let's ask where God wants us to take us. So find yourself a place to pray. Find and find yourself and ask God what He wants you to do, where He wants you to lead, what to do for with your finances, and what He wants from.